Welcome to Real Talk JavaScript, the weekly talk show with advice and insight into the technologies and practices currently being used to build web applications in the real world. Each week, Ward Bell, Dan Wallen, and John Papa talk to industry experts about their experiences writing, deploying, and maintaining web applications in HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome back to Real Talk JavaScript. This is episode 73, how you can avoid a litany of mistakes that design systems will solve for you. Micah Godbolt promises. He guarantees it. Otherwise, your money back. So this week <laughs> in our podcast is free. <laughs> everything's free. <laughs> um, so this week on our podcast, I have my co-host, Craig Shoemaker. Craig, how you doing? I'm doing well, John. Thank you so much for asking. I've got my fan off in the office right now so I can be... Uh, yeah, brother in arms with you here in the Florida heat. Yeah, I think the last couple of shows that you recorded with me were over at the Ignite conference where there were like 30,000 screaming fans right outside <laughs> your cube, right? Right. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> they had a really cool setup for us. The The staff was amazing. The hardware was great. So that was a, that was really fun. Yeah, it was a great chance to get some guests that, um, you know, are from out of the country and in other places that we wouldn't normally have access to. So uh, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed that there. And Micah, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me here. I was actually at Ignite, too. I, I saw those booths. I thought that was the, the coolest thing to have dedicated podcasting space in the middle of a conference. It was a great yeah. idea. You know, what we didn't tell anybody is that during the recording of that podcast, I'm a very animated talker. <laughs> <laughs> and I use my hands a lot. And I was doing something. I don't even know what we're talking about, but I was doing something, and I weighed my hands, and I was all into the body language. And suddenly, my chair flipped completely backwards with me in it. And it's like a little glass cage. So I flipped into the glass wall uh, and then got up. But of course, Craig is like crying laughing the whole time. <laughs> I was just sad I couldn't get a picture fast enough of all the action. And our poor guests are like all concerned of like they killed me. And Craig's just like, where's the camera? <laughs> all right. So today's episode with Micah, for those of you who are not familiar with Micah, a little bit about him. Design system advocate, speaker, trainer, and writer, Micah Godbel is the program manager of the Fabric Design System at Microsoft, a little company out of a garage in Seattle. He is passionate about seeing design systems empower designers, developers, and managers to do more together. Welcome, Micah. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, you know, we've been talking for a while. I don't think we've ever actually met in person, have we? No, no, I haven't. Yeah, just through the Twitter sphere. Um, I think actually I might have known you at or right before you joined Microsoft. So I think I um, maybe predated you just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, thanks for coming on. And we've talked about design systems a few times on our show, I think with uh, Emma Vitekind and Sarah Vieira in past episodes. Uh, but you have a different angle on this because you're using this at Microsoft, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. At scale, it's, uh, it's an interesting uh, challenge to, to get something that, that works for one um, one product is, is one thing, but try and build something that works across many products, across a large organization, um, uh, lots of various needs is, is quite a different challenge. So let's make sure, I'll use uh, our co-host Ward Bell's famous saying, let's back up for just a moment <laughs> and let's tell everybody on the show, what exactly is a design system, Micah? Sure. Um, my, I, I have a tweet I made several years ago that I, I still stick to and that um, if I can remember it off the top of my head, um, is that a design system is a collection of uh, rules and guidelines that um, help you to express everything a visual a visual language needs to say. 
I'll probably need to go back and, and, and get that perfect next time. But the idea is that a design language is, is going to allow you to express your visual language. Um, it's going to allow you to take the visual language of your company, um, the colors, the shapes, um, the, the depths, the, the, the fonts, and to be able to express that in an easy way inside of the web. Um, and to do so in a way that's really consistent across um, all of your applications. And so a design system is a combination of the designs itself as well as them expressed some way in code that you can represent those buttons and links and, and text. So, so let's, let's pretend I've never heard this term before, and I'm sure some folks haven't, and, and even though I have heard the term, I've never actually put my finger on, if I'm looking at it, that's a design system. So... Yeah, I don't How think do I know when I see it. Yeah, you're, you're not going <laughs> to see it. <laughs> the, the goal of a design system is that you won't see it. Um, the goal is that if you're looking at a product, um, that you see a lack of discongruity. I think that's the right word. Um, what we always talk about within, within Microsoft is coherence. We want to have a coherent experience, whether you are in, uh, say, Outlook, or if you're over in Azure, or you're in like, a Dynamics product or something like that. Uh, we don't want to feel like they're completely different products made by completely different people. We want uh, keyboarding to be similar. We want accessibility to be consistent. We want the button to actually look like the same button and have the same focus styles. So it's those kind of things where um, you, when you go from product to product, you feel like you're just going from like tab to tab to tab in an application rather than jumping from one monolithic app that someone built to a completely different monolithic app that somebody built. So let's play a quick game, Micah. Sure. <laughs> I feel like I'm on Jeopardy here. Hey, I like so it. So we're in the lightning round, everybody. Excellent. Let's say I give you some examples. You tell me, is this part of a design system or, or not? And then we can talk about them afterwards, okay? Sure. So if I go between two different apps in my company, you know, I'm using internal apps, maybe an HR system, order purchasing, whatever. Uh, and inside of there, I open up, up a dialogue in both those apps. And on one of them, it says, okay, and cancel. And they're on left and right, respectively. And the other one, I open up the modal dialogue and it says yes or no, and they're vertically on top of each other. Ah, yes. Design system or not? <laughs> it's a design system problem at that point. Okay. So the, the design system at a couple different points is going to help you to solve that. Um, for one, design system isn't just code, but it is the design language codified. So there's a design language to it. And part of that language is not just the code, but even, even how you use the controls. So oftentimes you'll have information about, like this is the, the, the type of terminology we use for these scenarios. Like we use yes and no, or agree and cancel, or something like that. And then on the other side, we have controls that have, we have design specifications for that we've built so that if you need a modal dialogue, like right now, if you need a modal dialogue in Fabric, um, you're going to find two buttons um, are available for you to render inside the modal, uh, and they're going to be horizontally laid out. And we're going to have specifications in the docs to say that you know, the primary one is for the confirm action, the secondary is for the cancel action. So combination of guidance as well as code that allows that to be more cohesive across those different experiences. Now, when you're, when you're talking about code, you have many different applications that are built in a lot of different form factors. So you mm -hmm. might have an Electron app, you might have a .NET app, you might have a web app. So w what's the common denominator when you're working in code? Because I would imagine, like, you are, are you expressing the same patterns in different languages with a different quote-unquote framework, or how does that tie together? 
at this point, there's no like, there's no one code to rule them all as as great as it would be. So the first thing it does it has to ladder up to the design, and we need to make sure that we have a design that's able to express what those patterns should look like that can be implemented in those various frameworks. Um, now, if we're talking about say colors and uh, fonts and spacings, those kind of things, those are things that can be bubbled up into a single layer. Um, it's not something we currently do extremely well within our system, um, but the notion of tokens and like design tokens are an idea of like taking those values and abstracting them into some kind of data format that can easily be shared across all of your apps, whether it's a web framework or a .NET framework or a, a native application. So that you can have, say, like a hex color that is um, spread out through all those various platforms that you could actually change in one place and see all those values updated in, uh, in all those various platforms. So there are some ways to do that, um, you know, kind of by elevating those values into tokens that can be shared. Before we elevate too much further, let's take a quick break from a word from our sponsors. So, John, one of the things I like about AG Grid, which is a, a data grid component for the kind of complex uh, grid scenarios that we encounter all the time in enterprise apps. One of the things I really like about it is that it works for a variety of frameworks, Angular, React, Vue, or, or just vanilla JS. Does that ring a bell for you? Oh, it really does. There's all these different companies that I work with where they have no choice but to use a lot of these different tools because they have different teams working on them. So being able to port their code or share that code and that technical investment they have is really important to them. Yeah, well, it's important to us. Uh, ideally, we're a consulting company, and you know, we never know what our client's going to want to use, Angular, React, Vue, but they're all going to need a grid, and it's great to be able to reach for uh, the one grid that works everywhere, AG Grid. You know what, and any size company, too, because you could have these teams that maybe they only use one framework, but eventually they're going to switch to another one and be able to take that investment again and use it, reuse it is really nice. So if a multi-framework, Data Grid makes sense to you. Please go check out AG Grid at ag-grid.com. And we're back. So we were playing our little game there of, uh, <laughs> you know, let's figure out what a design system is. And I think you've explained quite a bit there, but let's try to apply this to some real life stuff too. Bootstrap, mm -hmm. Tailwind, uh, Material. Are these design systems, are they not, or are they kind of like a Venn diagram where they overlap? How do, you know, these people; these are things people use a lot in our field. What are they? They are all actually. That's nice. Those three are good examples because they're very much um, slightly different points of the spectrum. Um, so, start with Tailwind. Um, I'm decently familiar with Tailwind, and I believe that is more of a CSS uh, framework. Correct? Yeah, and I'll put links into all these because I'm sure that some of these might not be familiar with everybody out there. Yeah. And so the notion of Tailwind is a, a very, it's, it's a CSS framework. So how do I get my styles onto my controls is really what, uh, what Tailwind That's what we're asking you, Mike. Come on, <laughs> Yeah. So my, so my understanding of Tailwind is, is that. Like, how do we get styles onto our controls? How, yeah. do, we, um, do we have, like, atomic uh, class names that have, you know, single styles attached to them? Do we write class names and add styles to them? Do we use some frameworks, CSS and JS, to bring those styles into our controls? There's a bunch of different ways to apply styles. But at the end of the day, you're going to need some type of visual language. You need some, like, this is what our button looks like, so that you can understand, well, what styles do I need to apply to my code? So I, I would say something like Tailwind is a tool in your toolbox that you could use 
to basically the code portion of your design system. So then moving to the next one of... And before you, before you move on, please, Micah, just huh? so folks know, check out the link in the notes there. And if you haven't used Tailwind, one of the interesting things about it is it everything it does, instead of creating like HTML elements or components that you can use for like a button, instead, everything is like a super CSS class. So you add in like text small, text indigo 600, and I'm reading this off the, the main page <laughs> there, just so folks get a sense for you. You end up with a lot. The nice thing is no new HTML tags to worry about and learn, but the downside is you end up with a lot of CSS classes, which there's ways to work around, but Certainly. it's an yeah, approach. And the idea with, with that is you have a, a finite number of CSS classes in your entire system so that as you build new controls and as you know, partners build new controls. You never actually have to add any new CSS to your system ever. So you, you've basically got your, you've got your max CSS possible, and now it's just a question of how do you apply those various class names to all of your DOM. So again, it's like how do you get your styles onto your HTML elements is what that's trying to solve. And you're, you're, yeah, so you're talking about Tailwind because you could yep. have like 12 CSS classes inside your div. Yep. Uh, and you're not adding any new ones. The only time you'd add a new one is if you wanted to get like a super class that actually includes multiple, right? Uh, I would guess so. I, I haven't used Tailwind enough to know if that's a strategy or not. My my assumption is you wouldn't make those new ones. You would just use all five class names so that you would never have to add anything new to the CSS. Okay. Yeah. And so the idea there is is atomic CSS. Um, and it can be done in multiple ways. Atomic CSS can also be done at like build time or even runtime. So that you're you're taking the styles that you've associated with the button and dynamically building all those class names. So there's a few ways to do that. And again, there's just a lot of different approaches you can take for applying CSS to components. And that's certainly one of the things that design systems try to solve, to say, like, this is a way that we are um, applying those styles or to give an interface to allow that to be a little more flexible. That's an option as well. So moving up the stack, though, I was talking about Tailwind and then on to Bootstrap. Okay. So Bootstrap is a set of mostly HTML and CSS um, with some JavaScript for some interactivity. So, so a pretty basic set of pretty much all the tools you need to build a standard website, a standard web application. Really easy to mock something new up to prototype and whatnot. So um, it, it's a really, it's honestly a really good set of tools. It's been around for a long time. It, it's done th- things really well. It's had some problems in the fact of like if you have a Bootstrap site, you kind of know it's a Bootstrap site because they all look the same. Yeah, because people don't tend to take the time to actually theme them separately. Yeah, which is fine if you're just using a prototype. Like that's really good use case for that. Um, though there is really good prototyping or, or, or theming support in there as well. So uh, again, it's a it's a really good framework for scaffolding out HTML and CSS and uh, some you know basic JavaScript functionality inside of that. So then move over to something like Material or uh, Fluent as well from Microsoft. And that is a little bit more of a full design system. Um, I, I would really call Bootstrap more of a UI framework um, because you're, you're probably going to have a design system, uh, visual language you're trying to implement, and you might use something like Bootstrap to actually do it. But moving to like Material or Fluent, 
The idea with that is we have a full design, a full visual language. We have a full way that we want to express the things that we want to express uh, with the colors and typography and the spacing and the sizing and you know, the type of word choices and like how we do different scenarios. Um, that's all baked into kind of the visual language of that design system. Um, and Material and both and Fluent both have those. Um, and then from there, um, those get boiled down into actual UI controls, controls that are first designed and then eventually implemented. And the interesting thing with that is you can have more than a single implementation. So yeah, I think one of my first um, encounters with something that I believe was a design system is working at a company where they had um, a team of folks who built out, I forget the names of the tools, they built out everything from the colors, the fonts, the spacings, uh, the paradigms, as you mentioned, for you know how each thing should look, how a user should interact with certain things. Uh, they even had... You know, what if scenarios of if a user needs to pick from a list that has less than 10 elements, this is what that thing should look like. If it has nested elements, this is what it should look like and feel like. And um, and they had they had this whole um, design system, I guess, uh, laid out. And I guess that's the first question. Is it a design system? Uh, and then the second piece that was none of that was implemented. So they actually went to my team and said, OK, John, I need your team to go actually design this for mobile web, desktop, so on and so forth. Uh, am I off base here or was that no. something completely different? No, that, you're, you're perfectly right on. It's, it is tough to say. Like, given different scenarios, I might say, yes, that's a design system or, or no, that's the design system. And everyone's going to have a slightly different opinion. But you're on the design system spectrum for sure. What, what you're yeah, looking they didn't at, call it that at the time. They called yeah. it the UX experience team or something like that. Uh, so. yeah. Terminology. Uh, yeah, terminology yeah. Always <laughs> is tough. Naming things is hard. But what we are definitely talking about is you have, they have a visual language. They have their type ramps and their colors and, and how they do things. Like, but sorry, what was that the, before you said type ramps? So type ramps, colors, like the, the visual elements that go into a visual language. What's a type, type ramp? ramp? I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, sorry. So type ramp is, I, I use it, it's a, my, a generic term. I use Usually, used to say like just the, the the font sizes, the the font styles, like oh, the typography. typography. Yeah, typography. Rules. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, you just so, totally blew my Craig's mind. So. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> yeah, a, a ramp usually is like uh, you know the, the the varying sizes from smallest to largest. Um, oh, or sometimes you have like a color ramp from like gotcha. light to dark, those kind of things. You see, Craig's a skater, so he was thinking about going in the <laughs> tube right now. I was thinking about half pipe. Exactly. <laughs> then you have the color half pipe. <laughs> so, so what you have there is you have you have the fundamentals, you have the, those core elements, uh, but then you also have those more scenario specific of like use this control in these scenarios. So these are things we definitely do within Microsoft to say you know these controls should be used in these scenarios. If you have you know this particular use case, you should use this control instead um, because again, like that's that consistency, that coherence that we want to find across applications. Not just hey, are the buttons the same? But in this case, we used a modal, but in this case, we used a panel. Like, why should we use one versus the other to make sure that we have some consistency across it? So I definitely I consider that a design system. I think as long as you have like defined UI controls and scenarios, I, I would consider that design system. Um, I don't think it has to get into like a final UI framework, which is kind of the next part of we need to be able to actually express those in code 
and we actually need to get that into an application. And that is what I consider a little bit more of a UI framework, um, but it all kind of comes under that design system and umbrella. Uh, because oftentimes you'll have like a single kind of visual language and set of controls, but you actually need to implement that in multiple places. You need a React version, you need a Vue version, you need an Angular version that goes into .NET, that there's you know, a, a XAML version, so on and so forth. So I could see like kind of that, all, that whole thing being a, a design system, like a very large design system, uh, with multiple UI frameworks for each of those endpoints. Are you building a web application? Need to deliver it soon and don't have the people to do it? Maybe you're not sure your company has the skill set or experience to do it. And maybe we can help. I'm your host, Ward Bell, and my day job is building applications for companies like yours. I don't do it alone. I'm president of IdeaBlade, a consultancy that specializes in enterprise web application development. We're particularly strong in Angular, RxJS, NGRx Redux on the front end, and .NET and Microsoft technologies on the server. We're a small, tight-knit group of people handpicked by me for their expertise, experience, integrity, and team spirit. Maybe we can help you with architectural guidance and hands-on development. And if there's something we don't know, and in our field, really, there's too much to know, we can draw on our personal connections in the Microsoft RD, MVP, and Google GDE networks, as well as our international circle of really great developers, people we know and trust personally. If you've got a project that's keeping you up at night, shoot us an email at info at ideablade.com. That's info at ideablade.com. And now back to the show. So now that we have a, a solid foundation for what... Uh a half pipe is and a design system. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and now I got like these visuals of Craig, you know, on a skateboard, um, <laughs> which I'm way too old to be doing at this point. <laughs> but uh, where did you use these at Microsoft? And we talked about like the title of the show is, you know, things that can help you basically avoid mistakes. How do they really help you? <laughs> um, they help in a number of ways. And like, honestly, like it's, it'd be a huge list to go over. Um, I was I was actually just thinking one recently, and I'm trying to remember the exact details. Um, it, what it what it gives you is it gives you a place to point. Um, and with a large organization, um, we have lots of developers and lots of designers. Um, it's really handy to have a place to point to. Um, and in this example, um, someone came. We've, we you know we have some internal team channels where people ask questions and say like, "How do I do this? How do I customize the control to do X Y Z? Or how do I build?" Um, you know, build this. And um, a lot of those questions come through and, you know, they're good questions and I give answers to them. Um, other questions come through. It's like, hey, how can I customize this control that typically does X, Y, Z? I want it to do ABC. And those are really good reflection points because for one, we've built a control that doesn't seem to meet a user's need. They're coming to us and saying, I need to change the way this control works in a pretty significant way. And we have a couple of different ways that we can respond to that. Um, we can say that, hey, that's an amazing idea. We had never considered that, that situation. We need to go back to our control and, and update it. We need to, to add that scenario, maybe put that back in our documentation, our designs, so that people can see that's a scenario we support, get that into code so people know how to do it. Um, oftentimes, though, what the, what the alternative is, um, is that, hey, that's not the way our control currently works. Like we we don't expect it to work that way. We don't. Uh, we never wanted it to work that way. So at that point, we kind of have two opportunities. We point at the control. We point at what they want and say, "Hey, these are like these are opposed. These they're diametrically opposed. They're 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 different approaches." And we can start asking ourselves, "Well, is their approach better? 
is a way they're wanting to do it. Like say, you know, back to the the dialogue and should the buttons be stacked? Um, you know, if that was, they, they feel incredibly adamant that's the way that should be. We can go back. We can look at the research we did about, you know, whether the user studies we did about the placement, about like which item goes first, top and bottom. And we can, we can basically go back to our design team and say, hey, here, there's a challenge to this design decision. And we'd like to figure out, like, what was your rationale? What is this new designer's rationale? And can we come to a conclusion? Because in the past, that was, if it was just an engineering question of like, hey, can I stack those buttons vertically? Of course you can. Piece of cake. It's easy. But with a design system that's from, it's, it's all the way from like the design, the visual language, and the intention all the way down to code, uh, we can start pushing back on that pretty easily. Yeah, and I want to push back a little on something you said, because I'm not sure... I don't think you meant this entirely this way, but you mentioned you know, a great place for this is for larger companies that have a lot of apps and they have to make a consistency. What about smaller companies? Like, Where is a design system really not worth the time? Because I'm sure a lot of our listeners are thinking, hmm, is this something I should be looking at or maybe is it you know, too much? I, I typically, when I build out my own sites, like a blog or whatnot, I will typically build out a small design system. So I, I don't think there's really any scale where... Creating controls and documenting those controls um, in a way that they are easily reusable is a bad thing. Um, I think there are complexities in some larger design systems that you don't need to uh, to do within a, a smaller design system. We we even have problems getting people to write like unit tests and documentation. <laughs> and now you're saying again, I'm just pushing back. Now you're saying now we got to write documentation on what our buttons look like. Yeah, um, completely. And what's nice about that is that. Um, as there's a need for that, the tooling keeps getting better. So, good. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I, I was just wanted to point out, would you say that there's a progression here where maybe you start off with like a style guide and then from there, maybe it becomes a design system? Is that is that a typical way this might happen? Uh, it also depends on what you consider a design system. I mean, for me, inside of my blog, it's like several components that I built that I documented. So I have examples of those that I can go back to those and, and work on those. Um, it doesn't need to be so start small. Yes, yeah. so it, could, it could be extremely small. It could be, you know, here's five common controls that we've built um, that you know, our core team has built and we use this in product. And if you need them, here they are to use. Uh, if you can get that far, you'd be surprised how many people go like, oh, sweet, you've already built that dropdown. And I don't need to go and take the design and re-implement that design again because you've already built something. And as we move to more and more of an open source or open source culture, even inside of large organizations where maybe it's like, you know, inner source where you're sharing it internally, you know, that's a much better proposition because now we can actually collaborate on that control and ensure that, you know, it's accessible and it's you know, high contrast compliance and its performance and so on and so forth. So opportunities for collaboration um, show up even in, in a smaller organization. Kind of uh, going another angle of uh, the point you're, you're already making, if, if someone's looking at trying to build one of these and, and they feel like it's a good idea and, and they want to have a design system built, but they know that they're going to have to go to management and sort of make their case, how would they be able to demonstrate the, the ROI on building out a system? Uh, the first thing that, that I've learned is design systems are often um, easier to ask forgiveness for than permission for. <laughs> <laughs> um, because the, there's, there's a very fine line between a design system and just writing documentation. 
So um, if you are building out, say, a, you know, a, a React application, and you want to be able to build buttons and drop-downs and checkboxes and you know, standard UI components that are shareable, then obviously you'd want to be able to document how you share them. And, and once you've done that, you've moved one step closer to an actual design system. Because then once you start, now you start getting quartered with design of like, hey, here's our checkbox. And like, let's make sure this is the spec to your visual um, guidance and your like um, accessibility and like interactive guidance. And, um, and here's a place you can always find it. This is always update. So if you ever want to change it, you can come to here and see what the control is and, and we can work on it. So really, it's, it's something really starts with documentation and having a place from, for everyone to look. Um, and that's really how a lot of design systems have started in, in, in my book is, hey, we, need to be, we want to share these controls. How do we do that? Okay, well, let's, first let's build the controls and now let's document them and, tell, and give some documentation about how other people should use them. And you're already on your way to a design system at that point. Awesome. And, and the other thing that's cool too, and, and I'll just speak for myself, you know, I'm not the best visual designer in the world. And so by being able to have these systems to draw upon, you know, I would imagine my site would look much better just aesthetically by using the design system than just trying to go on my own. And, and that's the goal is we always want to make it so that someone would rather use our design system than do something on their own. And I think that's been one of the really... Um, uh, kind of exciting surprises working within Fabric, especially at a company the size of Microsoft, is you know Fabric has been open source since its inception, you know three plus years ago, um, and a lot of people talk about it within the company. And sometimes we get surprised by the people that are actually using our product, and which is great for us because oftentimes you know we we work with partner teams specifically to engage with them and get them on the platform and support them and, and whatnot. But I, I've had stories of partners or part, part of other people within the company that have used Fabric and rewritten their entire application and shipped the application before we've even heard about it. And those are wonderful things because we recognize that people see value in it. They see value in, well, we could use that and not have to do all this work ourselves. The documentation is good. Like interfaces are all there and documented. It's way better for us to use that than try and do it on our own. Micah, we've talked a lot about uh, what the design systems are, and I think you've sold uh, both Craig and I on kind of the, the value of them. And I know we've had various, um, there's various degrees of, I would say, maybe a, a gauge, if you're thinking like a gas gauge. There's various degrees of what a design system can be uh, for large wraps, you know, the full-blown stuff you're talking about, or even, as you were suggesting, maybe even just for your blog, having a very simple uh, set of documented controls that you use. Uh, but can you give some examples of how this has solved problems that you've encountered uh, at Microsoft or other places that you use them? So one of the things that a design system really tries to do is, um, is alleviate the duplication of work. Uh, that's one of the largest wasters of time, um, within, especially within a company of our size, is you know, how many people are building a dropdown? How many people are building a pivot? Um, and the wasted effort there. And then if, if they're all trying to build the same pivot to the same design spec, you know, everyone's going to get it slightly different. So you have duplication of work and you have a, a lack of coherence between all these various controls. So one really great example of, of how this um, design system can benefit your team and kind of reduce that duplication of work is a control I worked on a, a couple of years ago, which was uh, it's basically we, we wanted to be able to um, resize and re-render a control as the page width changes. 
uh, changed. You know, CSS can get you so far in like doing breakpoints and making CSS changes, but what happens when you need to literally re-render a control based off of how much screen width you have? So think of a command bar that has a number of controls. When the screen gets smaller, you might say, you know, drop the icons off of it first, or go down to you know two lines for some of the text or something like that, or eventually to start moving the commands over to a um, like to an overflow. So we need we wanted to build that and build that. In a way that was going to scale. And we started talking with uh, the team that builds the ribbon for you know, Word, Excel, PowerPoint, and so forth. And uh, we saw an opportunity here to build a, a resizing control called our resize group that would not just benefit our product where we need to have you know, a commanding surface, but would also benefit their ribbon because they have the same type of, of problem. Like as you make the window smaller, that ribbon needs to re-render. You know, items need to fall off, items need to lose their icons, go text only, whatever the case is. And it's way more than just CSS. It's a complex set of re-renderings. So we sat down, we looked at what the requirements for that was, and we sat down and, and we built it within Fabric. Um, and that was great. We got some collaboration. That was the first thing. Like it was really neat to be able to work with multiple teams to come up with a singular problem. Uh, but past that, we 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 built a control and we shipped the control. Life was fine. We had our control, it worked just fine for Life us. Life was good. <laughs> it was good, but it wasn't perfect. It was far from perfect because when we started using it at the scale that we had it at, it was fine. But when you start doing it at the scale of like the entire ribbon where you have dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of controls, they started seeing some performance issues that they started digging into and finding solutions for. So what happened was instead of both of us doing our own implementation of this control completely separately, coming up with slightly various you know, different solutions, we worked on a single control. Great, a win there in coherence. But over time, over the next year or so, that team continued to contribute to that control, making that control faster, uh, a better, a better caching, a better scalability, better performance round and round. So they benefited from that because they had an open source control they could contribute to and easily consume, but everyone else that was using that control benefit as well. So this idea that we're not only um, uh, stopping duplication of effort, but we're able to take multiple effort from multiple people that have different ex uh, uh, like expertises and combine that all together in a single control. So you're saving tons of duplicate effort, you're getting a better product, you're getting people to, to communicate and coordinate together. Um, and in a larger company where that doesn't always happen really easily, that is a huge win. Uh, relationships that are built, the codes that's written, and the people that benefit from it. And at the end, end users that benefit with a better product. Somewhere along the way, Micah, you discovered this topic, and I'm sure other people have as well. But when you discovered this topic, like, how did you, you didn't just wake up one morning and go, I'm going to go create a design system. Uh, like, where did this come out of? And if somebody wanted to learn more about it, where do you, where do you recommend they go? <laughs> that actually, is, it's a great story. Excellent segue. Um, because when I started this, I, I didn't call it a design system either. Um, what had happened and the whole impetus of this was um, uh, about six years ago, I, I started a job um, working at Red Hat. Um, so redhat.com, their public website. Um, I came on to help them launch the site. Um, we just need to get the site out the door. It went out the door. It was fine. It looked nice, but man, underneath it was a good bit of spaghetti code, and you know, you're just trying to get a, a, a get a site out the door. Um, shortly after that, I stayed on the project, and one of the managers came to me and said, "Like, hey, this this control right here in the middle of the page, it's kind of cool. You know, partner XYZ would love to be able to reuse that control, right?" And he asked me what it would take for them to do that, 
And my response to them was like, well, you need to load the entirety of Bootstrap because we use Bootstrap and for some reason. Um, all the Bootstrap's JavaScript because wait, some wait, of wait a minute. You used. just said that Bootstrap wasn't a bad thing, and now you're insinuating that it is a bad thing. <laughs> it is a bad thing if you completely <laughs> design over it and you don't really use it, but if you take Bootstrap out and everything breaks, that's a bad thing. <laughs> ah, yeah, so, I want to pull on that a little because like, sure. could you take Bootstrap and then customize it to do what you want it to sure. do? You can, but that's not what happened here. Oh, what, what happened okay. here is they put Bootstrap as like a baseline, almost like a reset, and then just built on top of that. Tons of custom code on top of it. So if you're keeping super lean and you have a Bootstrap with a theme, and that's all you have to install and you can use all of the, all of the code, great. But in this case, before you did anything, before you installed a single bit of our CSS or JavaScript, you needed to have the entirety of Bootstrap CSS and JavaScript. Um, and then to then after that, you pretty much had to install all of our CSS because the way that we had built all of our HTML and CSS was just override on top of override on top of override and long selectors. And it was just there there wasn't an easy way to tease out all of that. So basically what the person asked me, uh, the, the manager asked me, is like, well, what would it take for us to do that? And he, and I said, well, basically rewriting every control from the ground up to be really oh, modular and contained. Not a big deal. <laughs> Not a big deal. And refactoring, I mean. Yeah, just a little slight refactoring. Um, and his response to me was like, okay, how long is that going to take? And that was basically the start of a two-year process of us digging into that design system. Fortunately, we already had the visual language, which was great, and figuring out how can we basically reverse engineer that down into the smallest pieces and then document those and build those designs back up again. Um, it was a, a great experience. It was a good three years of my life working at Red Hat. And it was really what kind of led me into Microsoft and the experience that led me into Microsoft, as well as the number of speaking opportunities and also a book I wrote about it. So Frontend Architecture for Design Systems is a book I wrote just as I was kind of finishing up my work there at Red Hat. And when I, when I wrote it, I actually didn't call it, uh, the original title was just Frontend Architecture because I saw this as we always had back-end architects, but this is doing the front-end architecture. Uh, and it was actually it was with O'Reilly, and O'Reilly was actually one that recommended, hey, let's put four design systems on there. And I was like, I don't really know what a design system really is, but sure. <laughs> and it turned out to be a really fortuitous, because that is exactly what we were building. We just didn't completely know it. So uh, um, really easy link, fea.pub is the short link to it. And it's it's... There's some technical stuff in it, which at this point is starting to get a little bit out of date. But really what I dig into is the process, process of understanding the problems we had, the process of understanding how to talk to management, how to find solutions for the problems that we're having. And for me, it was just, it was cathartic. It was getting it out onto a page of all this work that went into it and the achievements we made and the, the problems that we ran across and, and the, the product that came out of it. So, Well, I can tell that you work at Microsoft, and by the way, disclaimer, <laughs> so do I, because you win the award for longest title of a book ever, <laughs> Front-End Architecture for Design Systems colon, a modern blueprint for scalable and sustainable websites, first edition. First edition, yes. <laughs> Series 2, Windows Phone, episode 4.3, update 1. Service pack 7. <laughs> Whereas if this was, if instead of working at Microsoft, you work at Google, it would just be called like Cucumber. Cucumber. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, so fun book. Definitely check it out if you're curious. Um, it's a re it's reasonably short read. Um, and pretty high level. So ton of fun to, to write and hopefully a ton of fun to read.
Yeah, and I put a couple other links in here too, like um, and these are just random ones I'm Googling here, like step-by-step guides for design systems. I have a link to your book in here and a couple other resources. Uh, you know, I really do think it's valuable for us, even if you don't use a design system, because I've worked on products with and without them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes you don't have control, right? You just, you're, you get what you get. <laughs> and it's like the project you get. You're like, ah, I'm working on uh, Delphi uh, because that's what it was written in and we don't budget to change it. Mm-hmm. Um when you get these kind of systems, I think it's really good for us all to at least understand what these are and why they exist. Because I like to think most of the stuff in our technology world exists for a reason. Uh, and I definitely see why this exists and how the value comes into play. And thanks for explaining it all. Um, now it's up to everybody, all you listening out there to decide, is this something that is interesting to you? Is it something that you could learn about and help at your job? Uh, and I definitely recommend that you spend, you know, an hour or so reading about this to kind of see, is this something that's good for you? Hey, Micah, thanks for coming on. And we like to end our show with a final thought for our listeners. And that final thought could be anything on topic or off topic, even something cool that you've done recently. So I'd like to start with you, Micah. What's your final thought for everyone? I think I'd just come back on the topic. I, I think design system and design system thinking is something that anyone working in the UI space um, should just really be cognizant of. Whether you have control over the markup or not, there's opportunities to you know, document your UI, to document your patterns, to just to document and reuse something, whether that is just design specifications, CSS, or actual code. So I think it's really important to, in the same way that when we work on backend systems, that we create systems out of that that scale into a larger application. That we need to be thinking about that on the front end as well. And and don't you know don't don't give yourself the short stick. There's always opportunity to bring in some kind of design system thinking into any application, any UX that you're working on. That's really good advice, Craig. What's your final thought for our listeners? This week of the podcast is brought to you by the word intentional. It's uh, something that I guess I think about a lot and um, more uh, recently. You know, I've got a few kids. Um, I've got uh, lots to do at work. And it's just easy to sort of get caught up in the day-to-day to things and, and allow each day to sort of pass by with whatever, whatever you're suited with for, for the day. And um, I don't know whether it's meditation or, or whatever uh, practices people do is just taking the time to kind of sit back and be really intentional about what you're doing and who you're doing it with. Um, it's something I try to think more about. So I think that's good. And although I thought you were going to say that the uh, word of the show is type ramp, since neither one of us <laughs> knew what that exactly was. I was going to go half pipe, but that's all right. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and I did put both those in the show notes. Um, my final thought for everybody is uh, on a similar vein. Uh, recently, a very good friend of mine and Craig's and many people out there has passed away. And his name is K. Scott Allen. Uh, Scott Allen, if you're not, he, what he goes by, uh, if you're not familiar with him, he is one of the original authors from Plural Sight. Uh, he's been training in this industry as, as long as I have. Uh, we're of a similar age range. And uh, he's just a really kind soul. And he had a uh, abrupt passing uh, this weekend. He's no longer with us. Uh, and there's some really good information out there about what he did in his life and uh, a lot of great um, people out there commenting on their memories of him and all the good things that he did. Uh, and my thought for you all is, you know, hug your family a little tighter, think a little bit more about uh, the things that really matter in life to you all. And uh, we're not here in this world long enough, in my opinion. And I hope 
all of you have great health and it continues to have great lives. But uh, with that, thank you, Micah and Craig, for coming on. We appreciate this great conversation. Thank you, John. Thank you, Craig. And for all you out there, thanks for listening to us for yet another week. You'll hear from us every Tuesday morning. Thanks for listening to Real Talk JavaScript. This show and all of our shows are available at www.realtalkjs.com with links and notes. John and Ward would love to hear what you think, especially about potential guests and topics for future shows. Follow and send them a message on Twitter at RealTalkJS. 